Welcome back to the latest episode of the Security Sprint. This is a security podcast where we go beyond the headlines to talk about the security and risk news and bring about a different perspective, as well as talk about the news that you, and events that you may have missed or just not had time to get to. There's a lot out there and we want to bring it to you. And so this is a sprint. So there's a way it works is Andy and I will go through two rounds of topics and then we'll do some quick hits at the end. So with that in mind, I'm going to bring in my colleague, Andy Jabor. Andy, how are you today? I'm good, Dave. Happy Monday. Happy October. We've only got one more security sprint in the month of October. Hard to believe we're already moving along this fast in the year. There's so much to cover. We're not even going to be able to touch most of what we want to cover, I think, in today's sprint. But glad to be here and ready to jump in. Yeah, Andy, one thing is we know it at the end of the uh, October, and I am the weatherman, so it behooves me to know that as we go into November, the end of hurricane season technically comes, although we know hurricanes are possible in November as well. Just initial impressions on hurricane season. So, I mean, it wasn't, um, it was a couple of areas, obviously the West Coast, the Pacific saw more, I thought, than the West, the East Coast. A lot of high winds and and uh, some storm surges and such, but no direct impacts necessarily thoughts yeah i mean i think we got lucky right i mean we have yeah. we, we, we predictions call for how many storms may come nobody's any idea what may or may not make landfall you know on the kind of united states and the caribbean and we've had a lot of storms this year we're on we're on tammy right now as we speak right we're running out of letters for this for the year you know so it's been it's been a busy season there have been some very strong storms in in asia there was an incredibly strong system also, you know, drifting out to ocean. Thank God there's a lot more water and there is land. But I think what we did see is an increase in intensification. We saw a lot of storm systems. But I think that kind of says that, you know, from a planning perspective, we have to be prepared for more and more intense storms, even if they didn't necessarily make landfall this year. There's nothing saying that next year we won't have three significant landfalls, you know, in, in the Gulf and on the in Florida and maybe somewhere else on the East Coast. We just don't know that. So you know, the, the important thing is the severity and the frequency both seem to be increasing. Yeah, and, and I'll just, you hit it right on the mark there, Andy. I mean, preparedness uh, is never a waste. I mean, you 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 started this year and and you we, we made it through this year. Next year will be a different and you're already ahead of the game. So just keep those activities going as we go into that. So Andy, we're going to get into round one. I'm going to go first with my first topic and, and it should be not a surprise, but this has been the lead for the last couple of these, Andy, but it's the ongoing conflict within uh, Israel and Hamas. We've seen a lot over the last week about protests and demonstrations increasing around the world. Uh, there are Notably, a little bit of a shift towards more pro-Palestinian type of protests, which I think we we anticipated. Um, and there's also some other incidents, uh, hostile events that have occurred. There have been a couple bomb threats occurring at synagogues around uh, around the, the world. In fact, there have been a couple incidents around there. So we'll put some of those links in there as well. But Andy, I want to call out a specifically what happened uh, on Friday. Uh, everyone remembers the Islamic State, Daesh. Uh, the terrorist group. They've called for a violent targeting of Jewish people worldwide in response to the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas. This was published in, uh, again, as I said on Friday, in Arabic in Al-Naba, which is a weekly magazine by ISIS. And, and I can tell you our good friend Bridget Johnson, I'm sure, is all over this as she goes through a lot of her analysis on terrorists and extremist groups. 
But these, this group obviously has a history of, of uh, advocating for these type of attacks. Their biggest, uh, you know, obviously ISIS has been responsible for some large scale attacks. But I think, Annie, their biggest influence has been around influencing others to do their work. And, and I think that's some of the thing with this that I'm, I'm most notable and I want to call out is that they're, this is them fanning the flames now. This is them saying, hey, we've seen some things. We want to take this to the next level, ratchet up. And any of you out there who may be motivated, we want you now to be motivated more so and carry out these attacks. And we've seen something, again, they're not attributed to ISIS directly, but we've already seen people being influenced by these. We've seen them referencing the Israeli uh, Hamas conflict. And I think these are just really important areas to call out. It is something to be vigilant and mindful of. And again, organizations might be saying, hey, look, I don't, I, I, we're not a Jewish organization. I'm not connected to, to Israel in any way, shape or form. We want you to look beyond that. Look, look at the associated risks. Look at those individuals who may be working within your organization, who may be Jewish or who may be Palestinian, uh, who may have those workplace feelings that, that may escalate inside the workplace. Also, look at those adjacent buildings and infrastructure that be with you. If you're commercial facilities, for example, and you have commercial real estate. Do you have tenants that are, uh, you know, Jewish organizations? These are risks that you now need to start looking at and taking into consideration as you go through. Andy, I could go a lot more on this, but I'll stop there. What are your thoughts here on this declaration? Yeah, Dave, an important one to bring up, I think, a couple of thoughts. One, uh, we've been, you know, as, as I think most listeners know, and are working closely in support of the faith-based, I sound the faith-based community. Um, we're recording this on Monday, the 23rd of October, and I think uh, before the end of today or early tomorrow, uh, there will probably be a publicly posted update to the faith-based ISAL threat assessment that will include physical and cyber updates. I encourage folks to check that out. I will certainly be sharing that in the Gay 15 Sum once it comes out, because it's this call and incidents of violence and threats that we're seeing worldwide, right? We're seeing incidents, and you know, some of these are things we would expect, right? Protests, a lot of emotion, you know, conflict, and, and, and stress, and arrests. We expect that. Um, but we also see incidents of violence. Um, some some are not explicitly related to this ongoing uh, conflict. Some are. Some we suspect are. But there's obviously an increase in tension and incidents. And and this call, like other calls to violence, it's aspirational, right? But but ISIS still commands influence over a lot of people. And as we say, when it comes to political um, extremism and other forms of extremism a lot of times just th these types of things can just incite that one individual to take action and that becomes a serious threat and incident. So in this case, very explicit guidance from, from the Islamic State, right? Calling for um, encouraging attacks on the Jewish people in Israel, um, calling for the targeting of Jewish neighborhoods in America, Europe, and the rest of the world, uh, referring to uh, targeting of Jewish and Crusader embassies, right? Which which we've seen. We've seen yeah, and then targeting Jewish temples, synagogues everywhere, right? So it, it's very specific. And, you know, the Jewish community already, you know, under threat, already feeling threatened stress from this conflict, you know, here in the United States and worldwide, seeing increased anti-Semitism worldwide, um, seeing attacks on individuals, you know, in different areas around the world, including the United States. And, and now with a targeted threat, again, it just takes that one motivated individual, whether it's a He's, he's you know coming from a foreign area or whether he's a domestic extremist, whether he's even a, a neo-Nazi type that's drawing motivation from this, right? Because we've seen that kind of crossover influence. 
we've got to take these threats seriously because it could encourage that action. So this sort of escalates, I think, the threat from you know foreign terrorist organizations and those who would like to influence. I think we've got to take these things seriously and at least be cognizant of the threat and the fact that there are individuals who will take this to heart and, and try to transition through that hostile events attack cycle, Dave, from the idea of fantasy and ideation towards action and implementation. So it's a concern. You know, we don't like to see things. Again, we don't want to get be, be hysterical. We don't want to overreact, right? It's aspirational, but it's encouragement. It's specific targeting guidance. That's a concern. That's a concern. And it's unfortunate to see with this, but you know, on, on just to sort of add to this, this isn't the only threat. And we're seeing threats of violence and hostilities towards Jewish people, Muslim people, Arabic people. And that ties in a whole lot of other folks that are often misidentified, right? The the, the Sikh individual, the Hindu, right? O others that are not in any way tied to this ongoing conflict, but in, in ignorance and anger and, 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 and passionate uh, aggression are mistaken as, as, as uh, one group or another and targeted and have seen violence at their places of worship and upon individuals in their communities as well. So it's a frustrating, difficult time for really a, a lot of people uh, because of the ongoing events in Israel and Gaza. Yeah, and I think you brought up a really good point there, Andy, too. And I, I think it is important to say, look, look, let's make no mistake. The Islamic State has been doing this and has been influencing and motivating and trying to inspire others for years. I mean, this has been ongoing for years. This particular conflict just adds more fuel to their fire and just gives more people incentive where they see, you know, an incident that may be occurring in their area, then now for them to take and make a response to that. So it is something to be on guard for. I don't want to keep going down this whole, anyway, I think we hit on a lot of the main points there. So that wraps up my topic, Andy, where are you going with yours? Well, let me just add one thing there, and then I'll pivot to mine, yeah. which is yep. you know, while I especially focused on the physical threat with, with this specific statement. You know, we are seeing an increase, I think, in some of the hacktivism and other concerns as well. So while we're focusing primarily on human life and physical property in our current environment, you know, the, 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 the low-tech uh, cyber antics are, are occurring you know, in Israel, in the U.S., and elsewhere. We're going to be thinking about that, too. But I'm going to pivot, Dave, to my my only topic, I'm going to combine sort of my main topic and quick hit into one. I'm going to start off with a new report that was released by um, Senator Portman um, from Ohio, a Republican from Ohio. And he released a report uh, focusing on the threat of ransomware and its effects on the U.S. And it's a it's a good report, to be honest. It's a good report. It's 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 long, but it's not too long. Um, he focuses on Revo ransomware, which has been disrupted by law enforcement and internationally, including Russian law enforcement. Provides a good backgrounder on the growth of the ransomware threat from, from inception to where it is today. Focuses on a number of organizations, three uh, entities in, in particular that are just titled entity A, B, and C. One a Fortune 500 company, one a global manufacturing company with several thousand employees, and one a technology firm with just 50 employees. And it sort of looks at each one of those instances, each one of those incidents, talks about what occurred, what happened, and lessons learned. And it, it provides some really good context. It also looks at um, sp some specific named organizations, including the Colonial Pipeline Incident, JBS Foods, and Casilla. And, and it talks about each one of those, and it identifies some best practices and recommendations for government organizations. Um, it has key findings and recommendations, but also some specific ones for the private sector, You know, talking to the role of the private sector. And in that, it talks about the importance of insurance talks about legal counsel, it talks about third party you know, organizations, security organizations, responders. We talked about four things when you just name like right out of the report. One, organizations should increase the cost for attackers by eliminating low-hanging fruit. Correct. Two, organizations should implement a defensive posture. That key thought here 
assumes the organization has been breached, right? That's the strong point we have to come from is we assume that we've been breached. Are we ready to deal with that, right? Good good point, good comments to follow there. Three, have a cyber incident response plan before an attack occurs. Dave, we talk about this a lot. Again, cyber incident response plan, but it's also some ransomware specific details and it's training those plans and it's exercising those plans. And like I said, I had a conversation just last week with an organization, rah, rah, we need to do this, we need to do that. When it came down to it, they didn't want to spend any money on it, right? And and, and organizations have to accept the fact that they're going to have to put some time and resources into building the plans, doing the training, and doing the exercises. And either if you do it internally, which is fine, or if you pay somebody to do it externally, but you got to do it, right? And, and, and this report really underscores that. And finally, maintain offline backups and encrypt sensitive data when stored and in transit. Nothing new here, but one more, you know, thoughtful report coming from our government, um, you know, elected officials really looking at this threat, providing some good sound recommendations and input, good background. Organizations take a look at this, consider it. And then with that, Dave, I'm going to pivot a little bit. Um, a couple things have come out that the, the complement this organization can look at. One, CISA, the NSA, the FBI, and the multi-state ISAC have updated the Stop Ransomware Guide just this last week that came out. Check that out. Lots of great resources, lots of great references. Speaking of low-hanging fruit, there's a bunch of it identified there. Two, from the UK, from the NCSC. They've also provided some ransomware guidance for building cloud-resistant backups. And so some really good ransomware resources go along with uh, the Senator Portman report. And Dave, before I throw the ball to your to, to your neck of the woods, I want to add two others, sort of as moving to my second round. These resources are great if you pay attention to them and if you do anything with them, right? Otherwise, you're just hanging out there doing nothing. So I'm going to point uh, listeners to two more resources I'd encourage you to take a look at, read them process them and think about what you can do in your organization to take advantage of these resources. One, from partners uh, to the North, the Canadian Center for Cybersecurity last week released a, a good little guide on social engineering. Talks about the threat, talks about what you can do to mitigate the risk and things organizations should be thinking about. Coming out of the MGM ransomware incident, great reminder that social engineering can bypass all of your fancy security uh, solutions, take advantage of one person, a nice 10 minute conversation, and your whole organization is put in a very bad situation. Good resource from Canada. And then back to the US, another product from CISA, the NSA, the FBI, and MSISAC last week also released phishing guidance, stopping the attack cycle at phase one. Again, a good resource talking about one of the most common ways that organizations will be uh, breached, right, with ransomware eventually, like where the, where the threat ends up, right, it's through phishing, right? Senator Portman's report talks about that. This report talks about the threat of phishing and how to stop it at, at the beginning, right? So good resources, good guidance in each one of them. But if you don't look at them, if you don't consider what they mean to your organization, if you don't take action, then they're really just hanging out there doing absolutely nothing. So we'll share the links for all of those. I hope folks will take a look. I hope you'll think about it in relation to your organization. And if you'll do something, do one thing, do two things to make your organization a little bit more secure. It's, it's what we need to do. It's the right thing to do. It's the right way to protect our our dollars and our data and the people that were entrusting us with their data. So I hope folks take a look. Dave, that was fast. That was a lot. Thoughts, ideas? Yeah, it's a lot. But Amy, I think you nailed the right point at the end there is, look, nobody can say that there is not resources out there for people. I mean, there are plenty of resources. You have to take them and do something with them. And it can be daunting. Like if you look at it like, oh, my God, I'm never going to solve this problem. Of course, you're not going to solve the holistic problem. Nobody ever does. You have, uh, um, excuse me, <laughs> a little bit of a cough there. Uh, you have to take individual steps. It's just like implementing MFA. Start with one account and then move it to all your other accounts. It's the same thing here. Start with the basic principles, get those in place and move forward. 
The other thing I'll do is, is somebody will listen to this and be like, they're a manager or executive or somewhere and say, hey, my cyber team's already doing that. I challenge you to go back to that cyber team and say, hey, look what I saw. How are, how are we doing this? You become knowledgeable in that yourself and understand how your organization doing it so you can speak. You don't need to know all the technical whiz bang jargon and language but you should know how you're protecting against phishing you should know if you're doing any phishing tests or exercises if not maybe suggest you do some but you have to start being smart on this too you can't just rely always on your experts you should rely on them to implement them but you should be help setting that direction as well so andy a lot of great points there there are so many resources that can be leveraged and you do just have to pick them up and start somewhere or, or otherwise you're going to be in that unfortunate situation where now you're cleaning up the mess so so all great points there anything else to add on that andy no, I just I think I think you 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 nailed it, right? I mean, I think back to when I was in the military, Dave. You probably under, you know understand too. As as a, as a young officer, there are a lot of things I didn't really understand in depth. But I could understand enough to ask the right questions to get those who were the experts to help me understand where we were and where we were lacking. And I think that's exactly the point you were making, right? Understand yep. enough to ask the right questions to get a good sensing of are we where we need to be or what do we need to do to get where your as a leader expectation is the organization. So really appreciate that point. That, that That's right on. All right. So really good topic there, Andy. We'll merge that into 1A and 1B there for you. So you got your two topics covered. I'm going to go into my second topic here, Andy. And it's really another physical security one. Surprise, surprise. But the last week, the FBI released their crimes report. I think this made a lot of publicity around, mostly because the decrease in what the FBI had seen in some of the violent attacks and instances, which is a generally a good thing. I think the other thing that was important here, in years past, this report has been criticized because they had not been getting enough of the population. Some of the major cities had not been reported this information in. This year, I think they 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 can evidence a lot better results. I think they cover about 93% of the entire country through these incidents. So that's a really high volume there. But just to highlight a couple of the key things, Things area uh, they, that they brought up. Murder and non-negligent manslaughter recorded a decrease of 6.1%. Uh, in 2022, the estimated number of offenses of revised rape category saw a decrease of 5.4%. Aggravated assault decrease in estimated 1% and robbery was also down 1.3%. I do think that there's a lot more devil in the details there. They also have links to their uniform crime report, which is a database that you can go into and play around with a lot of their um, uh, their uh, criteria and categories. And I want to just call out a couple ones because these seem to stand out regardless of industry. Um, but by location, obviously, when you talk about violent crime, personal residences made up the overwhelming majority. This is by far and away. I think they probably had more in this category than all the other instances combined. But other ones that came out that I think are really important as you're managing your organization. Parking lots and garages, like parking garages, was the third rated area. Uh, convenience stores, fifth rated. Motels and hotels, six. Departments, discount stores, seven. Restaurant, eight. And bars and nightclubs are 10th. So a lot of very common areas and a lot of wide ranging areas. Parking lots, I think a lot of people overlook parking lots as an extension of their organization. 
But Andy, it was just earlier this year, or maybe it was late last year, we had a, a an incident that was initiated in the parking lot. It was, uh, you know, out, I think it was in San El, El Paso, I think that was earlier this year, uh, where they, they uh, shot up into a strip mall. So those type of things will occur. We've seen it happen at hospitals where there are incidents in the parking lots and then go into the hospital area. Uh, so you really need to look at the extension of the front door. Remember, we've talked about this on a lot of different levels. How do you extend the perimeter so that you can disrupt those attacks coming into your front door? And we need to consider that parking lot. <clears throat> Another couple categories that came up, relationship to the offender. The top two were uh, unknown relationship or a stranger, but the remaining categories were all conducted by known relationships that include familial or personal acquaintances. And what does this get back to all time and time again? As co-workers, as friends, families, uh, as neighbors, as we, we are in positions to identify suspicious behaviors, suspicious activities, and report those. And what we've seen is obviously a lot of these violent attacks occur by those people. And if we're being an active listener, if we're, if we're actively watching, if we're, if we're engaged, uh, if we're an engaged bystander versus just a bystander, I think we're going to be in a lot better shape there. And then one other area, that, Andy, that I'll call out <clears throat> is weapon types. Obviously, the top four are pretty common. Personal weapons, knives, or guns that include firearms and handguns. So a lot of good information in this report, Andy. They also did update the hate crimes report. We were talking a little bit about ISIS earlier today, but you can get into the hate crimes report and see updated 2022 information where they look at bias, offense type and who the victims were. Uh, a lot of really good information in this report. And I love the UCR, Andy, the Uniform Crime Report, that you can go in and tailor it down to your area. We talk about this too, is it may not be your necessary neighborhood, but what are the trends and patterns in your region? What are the trends and patterns in your state? You know, look at those wider things because it could spread into your neck of the woods. So just something for consideration, Andy, what do you've got there? Yeah, Dave, great overview. It is a great report. And like I said that UCR crime dashboard at least really lets you dig into the details that you want to look at in your neck of the woods, in your region, your community. So I, I think you covered well. I'll just add, you know, you touched on this. I was sort of ex explain the uh, top categories, right? The top bias categories as identified in the 2022 report. And the the most incidents occurred, right? And there's three individual categories. Um, one, based on attacks based on race, ethnicity, or ancestry two, based on religion, and three, based on sexual orientation. Within each one of those, um, the majority of attacks were based on uh, race or ethnicity, were anti-Black uh, incidents, right? People attacking Black Americans, African Americans. By faith, the preponderance of the attacks were anti-Jewish. And uh, when it came to orientation, it was attacking gay males, right? So just important to understand that, right? As you think about our own organizations, risks, what you know, individuals may be targeting. Good to take that into context with where these incidents occur. I love your comments on you know extending the front door. That's always worth highlighting. You know the, those most common types of attacks. So great, great summary, good report. I think uh, there's some good coverage of it. We'll share the, the report link as well as others in the, in the show notes. So good topic. All right, Andy. Well, I appreciate all that. And so that wraps up my areas for today, Andy. Any quick hits you got on your end as we wrap up the show? Yeah, we are we are at breakneck speed on today's frame. We might be setting a uh, Olympic time here. I've just got <laughs> five items. I'll just I'll just list them off, and we'll share the links. Folks can check them out. 
Uh, one, in a shock to absolutely nobody, uh, there's a, a report that discusses Russia shifting tactics uh, to to challenge you know, the state of democracies here in the U.S., for sure. Surprise, really, surprise, surprise. Yeah, yeah, shocker, right? But democracies worldwide. Uh, the Washington Post did a good job talking about this. We'll share the link for that report. Um, CISA and others have been talking about the Cisco vulnerabilities. This has been going on for, I think, a little over a week now. Different different concerns. Uh, a lot to wrap your head around. If, if your organization is using Cisco products, and most large organizations are in one way or another, got to make sure we understand this threat um, and are taking action to to address it. There's 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 some significant issues, um, some good links. Uh, we'll include one in, in the notes, and then uh, those that are getting the Gay 15 Sun every day have a whole lot more that you can pull from, but worth checking that out. Three, uh, the FBI in Phoenix released uh, a report on a new financial scam they're calling the Phantom Hacker. Once again, just like many of these scams targeting older Americans, good report, worth checking out, worth understanding. And again, may talking to those in our communities and our families, our loved ones about these types of antics and what they might see and what they should or should not do when they see them. Um, CIS also released a report on uh, another vulnerability. We share the link for that. And uh, another FBI warning looking at um, uh, North Korea and their target of information technology workers. So a lot of folks can dig into there. If you want even more, subscribe to the Sun and get those. I think I'll leave it at that. We covered some pretty important topics already today. Yeah, a lot of great stuff in there, and particularly of interest, a lot of the FBI reporting. There's great information out there for a lot of people to digest. So with that, Andy, I'm going to wrap up this week's episode of the Security Sprint. I do want to remind everybody to check out the weekly podcast that we have here on the weekly Security Sprint. But we also have Andy Jabor's Gate 15 interview, which was posted last night. And so check that out with uh, Kim, Kim Milford. Uh, over um, and then we also have my nerd out podcast in which I had discussed MDM last week. So fun one, a fun one. yeah, it was a fun one. We also got in some real nerdy stuff too. If you like that, at the end, so uh, good stuff, Andy. And if nothing else, Andy, I will bid you adieu. Mm-hmm.